0: Welcome to Noir, the podcast that celebrates the extraordinary people of North Omaha. Our goal is to inspire and uplift the Black community by sharing stories of individuals who have made a positive impact. Join us as we connect, support, and encourage one another through powerful conversations and uplifting messages. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Noir the Podcast. Noir stands for North Omaha is really extraordinary. And the purpose of this podcast is to connect, support, and encourage Black people in and from North Omaha with stories of individuals who inspire us. Nichelle, why? Because we need it. Amen. I am Nichelle Horton Brown, your host. I guess that makes me Jade Rogers, the yep. co-host. Yep. And today we are excited to have with us the incomparable, mm-hmm. the phenomenal.
1: I need another word. Give me another word, Jade. Indubitable. No. That's, <laughs> not, right. that's not right. That's not right. The amazing. 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 Nancy Williams. Oh,
2: thank you. Thank you so much. Very lovely descriptions.
0: Yes, and all accurate. I need to bring a, a thesaurus in here <laughs> so I can have all my words. hoots. Yes. Nancy, yes. we're so happy to have you.
2: I'm so happy to be here.
0: You are everywhere and most people know you, mm. but we are starting from the top. Mm. So we always start by asking about your educational background and how you got here, basically, where you came
2: from and who your people are. Okay. Yes. Uh, I used to skip over that part and people start asking me questions like, oh, let me go back and tell you how I got here. So I am the oldest of six kids. I grew up in a small town in rural Louisiana. We grew most of the food that we ate. I was in 4-H and FFA. I studied horticulture at LSU. I interned at a crop protection chemicals company in the summers while I was at LSU and worked in southern Louisiana, uh, near Baton Rouge, and then the Hudson River Valley region in the summers. And I got a fellowship. And went to Cornell and studied plant pathology and weed science as part of my thesis work. And since this is a little longer format, I'll say a little bit more about that. And if you go to LinkedIn and there's links to documents and research papers, you can learn more. But my research was about biological control of weeds and turf grass using a bacterium. And the bacterium was a facultative parasite called Xanthomonas campestris and is a naturally occurring isolate. So it already had some efficacy against annual bluegrass and turf, but we were looking for a way to exploit that to make it even more effective so that we could use less chemicals to control bluegrass. And the reason that people try to control bluegrass on the golf course is usually where it is, is because it has prolific seed heads and interferes with the role of the ball. And so if you're trying to hit a ball across a lot of grass and some is just popping up, and making it bumpy, you're going to do what you need to do to make sure. it smooth. So that was my research. I spent uh, two and a half years at Cornell doing that. And during that time, I had my first kid, got married and got two kids, And I was on fellowship for one person. And now there are five people. (laughs) Uh And when DuPont offered a full-time job with benefits, I was like, yes, I will take your job. And uh, moved from upstate New York to Omaha. When the HR person was saying, we need you, I went in to get my assignment uh, after training. And he said, we need you in Omaha next week. I was like, okay, cool. Is that like Chicago? And he was just (laughs) like, yes. Yes looking at me staring like Stanley from the office and blinking. And I didn't know Stanley then because the office wasn't there. But in retrospect, I think it might have been based on him. And so I came to Omaha in February of 1993. And we've been here since then. I left the job with the Crop Protection Chemicals Company in 1999. They had um restructuring. Mm -hmm. and um, I could have ended up in South Dakota as a sales rep or at headquarters on the East Coast. But since I had had four children in five years, 92, 93, 96, 97, I decided to take the severance package and sit down for a minute. And so I did, but it was about three months, and the kids were tired of volunteering. They asked, when are you going back to work? (laughs) (laughs) So I got into IT. I started teaching at... Peter Kiewit Institute as an adjunct, uh, which is the hardest job i ever had in my life besides being a parent. At least one where you get a check because parents don't be getting checks mm-hmm. after kids Nope, turn 17. Uh, <laughs> I did that for two years and it was a lot, but it was great. I still run into some of those students now and it's fun to see their accomplishments. Um, I did contract training. Uh, with a small company in Louisville, Nebraska. And I did advanced Microsoft Office training, like First National Bank, Physicians Mutual, places like that with Excel and um, Access, those applications. And then I started working at Boys and Girls Club as the IT director and ended up staying there for 14 and a half years. When I left, I had the title of CIO, which is Chief uh, Information Officer, and we had grown from three sites to, I think, 12 sites then. And we had gone from serving like 200 and some kids today day to over 1,500 kids a day. I know the goal was like 2,000, so it could have been close to that. And we had, I think, maybe 40 devices overall when I first started uh, with servers distributed in three locations. And by the time I left, we had consolidated everything back to the admin office and have virtualized servers and voice over IP phones and had over 400 connected devices and technology centers for all the kids. So, wow. yeah, it was a lot. And then mm. during that time, I co-founded No More Empty Bots. That was in 2010. And 2014, um, I share with the board, like it's the time to like, it needs a, a director because we were all volunteering. And I was board president at the time. And the others convinced me that it was a good (laughs) idea for me to leave my job and go do that. And so I did. I took uh, the the year of 2015 to to transition. So I was serving in this capacity of um, like quasi executive director for No More Empty Pots, while we're still trying to ramp things up in as CIO for Boys and Girls Club. And my kids are graduating from high school. The two oldest graduated in 2010 and then another in 2012. And then the last one in 2014 and 2016, I started my job as the CEO for No More Empty Pots. It was on December 31st, uh, 2015. I went into the office and handed Tom Kunkel my keys after we talked for like forty five minutes. I hugged him, and I went home and I slept until january second and' then, <laughs> cause I thought it was a good idea to like go all out on a national pilot for stem and uh my two oldest kids knowing and could feel it working with me, and we served like three hundred kids during Thanksgiving and Christmas break with uh with a whole bunch of staff Boys and Girls Club. Do Space was awesome. at Metro Community College, they had just opened, and so they hosted us there. Kids got exposed to things. And some of those kids today, they are doctors. They are technologists. They are computer scientists. They are. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. trade it for anything. Mm-hmm. It helped me to see the power of intention and engagement. And because the kids... When they want something and they trust you, they show up. And in turn, your life changes, their lives uh, change, and the community changes. And now at No More Empty Pots, um, this has been a journey of becoming. It's been more of a spiritual journey than anything else. I In 2016, it was wild. I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> had no idea. Ooh, and it's, y- y'all know, when you're leading things and you're all gung-ho for it, I thought becoming, you know, executive director or CEO is like, oh, finally, I can get my checklist done. Wrong <laughs> statement. Right. That is not what happened. Mm-mm. And the checklist just went out of bounds. Yeah. Yeah. And so now well, I'm this- in... <laughs> I'm in this space where um, I'm preparing to leave this because it is time for the next phase of this journey and a good inflection point for the organization to accept a new leader and we'll see what happens. So that's how I got here. I think it is very interesting.
0: The first thing you said was you talked about the number of children in your family and you said we grew most of our own food yes and then you went on this this long journey of you know horticulture and it and then you came right back around to
2: we grow our own food yes i think that is cool thank you you're welcome and i'm grateful that people have afforded me the opportunity to live out my passion uh in that way
0: what made you study horticulture
2: I was in FFA and our.
1: What is FFA? FFA stand
2: for? stands for Future Farmers of America. And I was in vocational agriculture because the FFA advisor, just like any club at a school, you got to have a teacher that's like going to take, mm-hmm. take charge of stuff. So the FFA advisor was the VOAG teacher. And whenever you were a part of competition team, so his thing was they called it the plant team. You do uh, landscaping and learn about plants and how they grow. It's a whole competition thing. Uh, I was recruited in the eighth grade. They went to my parents and said, hey, we are building. Because my uncles have been on this team before because he had been trying to like win the national title. That was his thing. He wanted kids to in the community to have the opportunity to compete And to win. His wife was a biology teacher. They had a shade house set up in their backyard where they kept nursery plants. Whatever the plants were on the list for people to learn to compete, they had the plants at their house. So we would go out to nurseries to visit, but we could also just go in the backyard (laughs) and look at the plants if we needed to. Because you needed to be able to identify the plants from a twig if you needed to, because you may end up in competition during dormant season. Ain't no leaves on it. Mm-hmm. And if all you have is a stem and some buds, you need to know what a red bud looks like, what a flowering dogwood looks like. So they had it there and we could see how the plants change over the season. And they had a student we graduated from the small town where we grew up and was at Iowa State. Uh, she finished a PhD at Iowa State. Part of her doctoral work she did, or maybe it was something she did on site, I don't know how they convinced her to do this, but she created exams for us, like multiple choice exams over the characteristics of the plants. Because in the summers and after school, we would go over to their house and we take our tests and then we'd go over the answers and we'd do both plant identification. It's like a mock competition every like once a month and you do your study in between. We learned how to learn. And so after competing, like in the 10th grade, we competed. Um, So you have to win at the state level and represent the state at the national competition. We were in Kansas City in 1984, and one of his motivational things—he was really good. He was a colonel in the army. Went to Tuskegee. What's his name? His name uh, was Mister Verly C. Knighton. He had diabetes, and no one wanted <laughs> him to have a sugar fit because he—wow—he lit people the fuck up. <laughs> he did. Oh my god, the boys hated when he was. It's like go get Miss Knighton, Mister Knighton, having a sugar fit because there was no prisoner, honey. Uh, and somebody to run. He kept a cooler on the back of his pickup truck that had cokes in it, like Coca Colas, because that would get his sugar up real quick. <laughs> so a sugar fit was when his sugar was, was too sugar low. Went too low, somebody okay. ran out and got a coke out of the thing so he could take a swig and get off the kids.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: wow! Yeah, and sometimes they would go get Miss Knighton. So our the Voag. Class was like here in a separate building because we did welding. We built a structure because it was like successive learning. We did carpentry first, so we learned how to rip lumber and uh, two by fours and measure the stuff and all of that. So we built the structure, and then we went into inside the. It's like a. It's like a. We had a shop. A shop. Yeah. yeah. We built the structure. And then we went into electricity. So we learned how to do three-way switches and all that. And so we wired the structure and then we went into plumbing. And so then we put the plumbing in. So by the end of the the school year, like you had a building with all of these things in it. There was a shop with welding. So I did oxyacetylene welding and all of that stuff. And (laughs) (laughs) I loved welding. You can write if you learn how to do it well. I loved when you could join the pieces of metal and the meat, the, the bead was uh, so well done that it was seamless. Like you did, it was just like these little soft ripples through the, anyway, it was great. And in 10th grade, uh, we'd won state competed in nationals and uh, the team won third place and I got the highest score. And so after that, he was like, Well, we're done with playing plant team. I have won the trophies. And <laughs> literally a couple of years later, he retired. So, because that was his That was thing. his goal. Yes, that was it. And then after you compete, once you like win nationals, they don't let you compete again. And so I just focused on studies then, because uh, I didn't have much extracurricular. I'm not athletic. I tried to do. That's because your brain is too big, Nancy. That's I mean,
0: <laughs> you didn't about welding, and lots, I don't even know what, all you have just said. Scientific, right? words, And I'm yes. just like,
1: that sounds beautiful. <laughs> I only half understand what you're saying. Oh no, but I'm sorry. That's because it was fun. It. It's filling this it.
2: whole room. But the fun thing is, I wasn't the only one there. Like, I had a classroom full of classmates and so that also got to do the same
1: stuff. Tell me about your community, like that who, part. Who's in your community? Because your uncles, like? your uncles were in the class before you. They
0: had already done this
2: like ten years before. So yeah, ten years community. Before. Yeah. Go, that go that is it. And I remember being at LSU. So I got to. The the VOAG teacher, I'm going to close the gap on the question you asked. The VOAG teacher had uh, reached out to different schools. And one day, because I didn't like PE, so my senior year I had to get my last unit of PE in so I could graduate. It was the only one available was the first class in the morning. So essentially I get dressed, go to school, get undressed, get sweaty and put my clothes <laughs> back on. Uh, and so he had been reaching out to... Uh, different schools. And one morning, someone came to rescue me from doing laps in PE <laughs> and said, There is a phone call for you. Cause he had his own office. And uh, I walked in, he called me Lady Die. And he said, Lady Die, there's, there's a call in there for you. So I walked in, my little two short shorts, cause I don't know why the teacher ordered me a medium, cause damn well, I needed to be in a large, extra large. <laughs> but anyway. My parents were paying for no extra pair of shorts. I just had to wear what I had. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I went in and to the call, and there was a professor from LSU in the horticulture department talking about what scholarships they had to offer if I chose to go there. And so I was like, I'm not sure that I want to do that because I was thinking maybe medicine or something like because I like science. And he said, uh, Mr. Knighton said, well, you can spend the first couple of years taking the general education classes you need to take, like take their money because they are offering it to you. And then if you don't like it, then you can switch. I was like, okay, I'll take their money. So I got the honor scholarship. I got some more uh, scholarships from the horticulture department, from the university. Little asterisk. I missed out on them Pell Grants because they didn't tell me I was supposed to go stand in that line. So it was after I graduated And I started looking at financial aid. I was like, well, I would have qualified for this. How come I get that money? Because I already had enough other money and they didn't tell me that I could also have that money. But anyway, I ended up getting scholarships pretty much full ride. When I left, I had money in the bank and my parents didn't have to cover anything. So they gave me, in 1988, they gave me a a blank check and said I had $1,200 that I could spend and I bought a microcomputer and I had to choose I could choose between amber or green for the display and so I got a green one because I can't stand amber display (laughs) (laughs) and then I put my own money in for a a dot matrix printer with the paper on the side that rolled through and I have always done my papers at the last minute so it'd be four o'clock in the morning (laughs) Print. <laughs> with my roommate like three feet away because this paper do a eight. <laughs> so that's how I ended up at LSU in horticulture because they offered me scholarship money. And then when I got there, I realized I've been doing this my whole life. This is going to be the easiest A's I ever got. One of the labs for my first horticulture class was a four by eight garden plot. I was like, for real? Okay. Like, I'm I'm used to way more than this. Big, beautiful greens and all this. And at the end of the semester, these other students are like, bump this. I'm done with this class. They just walked away with all of their food still growing out there. And me being the country girl (laughs) that I am, baby, I got me some 50-gallon bags. And my parents said, we'll meet you halfway. I got all (laughs) of them kids greens out of all of them. I had like eight big bags in the back of my car because my grandmother had bought us a car uh, for graduation. And I met them halfway in Bunky, Louisiana uh, and gave them them big bags of greens. And then they went back home. It was about uh, two hours each way. And so the community (laughs) Oh, uh, <laughs> 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 MG. The community is amazing. Uh, and the way that Mr. and Mrs. Nighting cultivated community is what made the difference. They made the plant team not something that the school did or that they did, but it's something that the town did. They had barbecue dinners, and everybody at the little small plant. <laughs> In town, uh, at the, the country stores, working at different types of factories, lumber yard. When we had dinners on Friday to raise money to be able to go compete, people showed up. They bought out, it was sold out dinners all the time. They distribute them from the cafeteria in the high school. Like the people in the, the, the cafeteria ladies who will always slide me that extra crispy fried thigh, chicken thigh. <laughs> when I asked, this, baby, you need another one? Yes, ma'am. Uh, and put, with those greens made from scratch and that oh. cornbread. That's back in the day, baby. It was so full every day. But they would help make the food, and then there would be people who would come pick up the food and then deliver to people at different places around town because they paid for the dinners. It was truly a community undertaking. So when we won, the community won. And sure. I remember when I was in undergrad at LSU, uh, there was an ag-econ professor I think it might've been my sophomore year. He was like, you from Kashata too? And there were some other kids from Kashata that uh, were at, at LSU. And he said, what's in the water in that town? Because there were uh, students in engineering, there were students in um, math, there were students in history and everybody was doing well. Sure. And it was something that they hadn't seen in that consistency especially especially from a small town is because the town supported us as kids academics were important we had the best teachers the and it didn't matter if they were black or white we had the best teachers they cared first mm-hmm. and then they taught how big was your town small maybe like i think it's like maybe 1,500 people. Oh, I didn't wow. pay attention to population stuff then. We had three lights that I know that much. Uh, they have more than three lights now. But when I when I left to go to college, there were three lights. And my parents got cable after I left. Before then, we had three stations. Yeah. And country music. Everybody knew everybody. 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 Literally, related to probably a third or a fourth of them. Yeah, there was no degree of separation in this small town. That's awesome. Yeah. You still have family there? Absolutely. They all live there. <laughs> my, <laughs> my my mom and dad are still there. I was, um, I've was i been on this journey of healing and reconciliation. had a conversation with my dad a couple of weeks ago. And I was thanking him for uh, all that he had done for us. I was grown mm-hmm. with. We- With a child before I knew electricity could be turned off. And I can tell you about that story later. But anyway, it was turned off because it wasn't paid. But I didn't know that could happen. (laughs) So I. It got paid and got turned back on. But I had never grown up with that. My parents still have the same phone number from when they moved into the house in 1970. Like ain't nothing ever been cut off. It's just there. And so that's just how... The community is, and and our house was a place where anybody could come to get food. Mm -hmm. We were, I was a bully. I didn't know that I was a bully until after, like really just a few years ago, (laughs) when I learned what that was. And I was like, I've even bullied my children because- that's how I grew up. I thought this is just tough parenting, but no, that's bullying. It's not cool. We recognize that. They recognize that, and they've forgiven me for those things. And so I am in the space of learning how to forgive myself, so I can heal from that and um, live in my fifty-four-year-old reality instead of the one I was trapped in from when I was a kid. A lot of things are connected to me, especially in this this phase of my life. Uh, so I may start talking about one thing and end up talking about something else, because that is a point of connection for me, mm-hmm. and helps me resolve uh, some of the the angst or the um, discontent uh, associated with that.: So what's next? <laughs> for Nancy? I'm not sure yet. Um, I just am trusting that what I'm doing in any given moment is the thing that I need to do in that moment. I used to try to plan ahead. It's the first time I'm ever leaving anything, not having something already planned. I spent a whole year transitioning from Boys and Girls Club mm-hmm. and was doing so much that I picked which days of the week to sleep because I couldn't do all of the things and sleep every day. Um, Yeah, it's not a good thing to do if you're trying to like stay alive, but it's helpful to know how your body responds to stress. So (laughs) I know those things now. I know that I want to do something that's what I call more upstream, where it's not just taking care of the need in the moment, but helping to intervene when people are in a place where they realize things are not the way that they want it to be or as good as they can be. And with a little bit of support, they can be lifted so that they can self-actualize that higher aspiration for themselves instead of leaning into the way systems are set up now where people have to like hit bottom before they qualify for any type of support so that they can then be lifted. Well, now you have emotional trauma on top of that to work through. It was like we are making this way more harder and complex than it needs to be. If we care first, look for the way uh, to be innovative and more effective with the resources that we have, it won't cost as much as we are spending. Mm -hmm. It will actually be in monetary uh, terms, less expensive Sure, to help lift and free people, liberate people to go live their lives on their own terms and utilize the resources in a different way. We spend a lot more money on punitive processes and monitoring. Like, Really do I need to monitor somebody getting a meal for $2 and 86 cents? No. What is going to cost to have somebody check to make sure that someone didn't get two $2 and 86 meals? You have spent enough for four meals. Right. Like, let's stop the madness and the nonsense. So I want to do something that's like outside of that, that may be somewhat unorthodox, but people are already doing it or taking research. And using it in a different way or from a different domain, I want to be engaged in developing and supporting the, the creation of more generational wealth, freedom and liberation to live, eat, be housed, love, learn, whatever you want, when you want, where you want, how you want. That's my thing. Because I'm in this place where I've experienced a lot of loss this year and We make it hard. We don't have to. There's enough adversity coming at us Mm -hmm. that we should be seeking as much joy and treating people with as much dignity and respect as we can muster. Because all we have is right now. I'm pretty sure that them dinosaurs weren't thinking, oh, the asteroid's coming today. So, (laughs) like, no. They drinking water and damn, it's over. Like, so... (laughs) So why aren't we living? Yeah. Why aren't we just living? And I was on my way to lunch a couple of days ago. And I just had like this view from the top of the hill. And I was like, dinosaurs used to be here. And now there's pavement. Why are we taking this so seriously as if we are not temporary? What do you do right now
0: to find joy?
2: I laugh as much as I can. And so often I have people come up to me. It's like, I knew you were here because I heard you cackling. (laughs) (laughs) And for a long time, I didn't laugh. And I didn't know that I wasn't laughing because I was so disconnected from myself and just doing the things that I thought I should be doing. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't living. And now I'm trying to lean into life as much as I can. And with the joy also means feeling the pain. Mm-hmm. experiencing the fear, like having all of the emotions. I spent a good bit of 21 and 22 using search engines to figure out what I'm feeling because I'm like, okay, I'm feeling this, this, and this, and then get a list of emotions. Then I go to Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, and then I look, I it's like, oh, seems like this one because this is the context. And now I have another frame of reference, and I didn't realize how much disassociation I've been living through sure. and the impact that that has. And so I meditate, I walk, I do yoga. I use a Nike training club app. Um, my daughter Noni turned me on to that. I do group chats with my kids and my siblings. I read, I I tell people that I love them as often as I can. I write. I started doing poetry, writing poetry more in 2020 because my third kid, Jelani, suggested that I write poetry. To like, because I, I started feeling anxious, I didn't know what anxiety was. Again, I put in what I was feeling, and Google returned with anxiety. I was like, "Huh, that's what that feels like." <laughs> People walk around with this all the time. Oh my god. <laughs> And then my daughter knows. Like I could have told you that. She's really exasperated with me because I seem so unaware uh, a lot of the time. But then I say really good answers to things, and she's like confused, like how are you like this? I don't know, but this is what we got. Um, Let's see what else do I do? I'm having new experiences. Yeah, like I went dancing for the first time, like in July. What kind of dancing? I went to the max with some friends and danced in heels for an hour. And I was just about to go change my shoes. And they said, we ready to go. It's like, great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, for the first time since I was in seventh grade and had a sleepover one night at a friends where we had, I still remember we had grits and them Wilson hot dogs for breakfast, you know, Wilson wieners with the red. Yes. Uh <laughs> That's what we have for breakfast the next morning. But anyway, this is <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't know. You don't know? Oh, I'll have to tell y'all about what? it. You I don't, don't know, know my Wilson Wieners? I think so. Oh, okay. They're just okay. hot dogs. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we had we had that for breakfast uh, the next morning. But this summer in August, I went to visit a friend. And I stayed overnight in her house. And it's the first time I've done this since I was in seventh grade. So and I think it was my Fourth vacation in my life, wow! Yes, so I'm having new experiences. That's you awesome. are living, I am Nancy. So good! <laughs> oh my, it's gosh. so good. It's I. I had a doctor's appointment, and I had lost twenty pounds uh, since my last appointment. And then my doctor is like, "I want you to see what you've done," and so. He brought out his model, the fat model uh-huh. of five pounds, yeah. and, and took my picture holding. He said, you did this four times. I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I shared it with my kids, and they were like, we're so proud of you. Look at that smile. That's great. Yes. You have joy, and you are living, and that is awesome. Thank you.
0: Why have we waited so long to have you on this show? Because I wouldn't have been this
2: joyful before. Oh, she's so. okay. <laughs> You it's know what? in the you, right timing. Amen. I have learned to not fret. Like if I thought that there was something I was supposed to do or that I do not have FOMO because I trust the timing. Mm-hmm. And it is always, I don't care if it's months, years, weeks or minutes. When I when the thing finally happens, it is that moment of the convergence of the experiences for that moment to allow whatever needs to happen in that moment to happen. I had some of these experiences just last week. So I would not have been in a place to do sure. this. And that experience with, so I went through this cleansing thing to trying to, for freedom and liberation and dealing with grief and and loss uh, and releasing this from my body. And I didn't know mm-hmm. that I was holding and carrying all this stuff. And one day after going through uh, an experience with a friend to try to release some of this, I was thinking, okay, I have to find a different way to hold this. And then I thought, no, I don't have to hold it at Mm -mm. all. I can just experience it and let it go. And that was just maybe three, four weeks ago. So, If we had had this conversation before, I wouldn't be in this place where I'm, that's still wrapped in my body, Mm -hmm. uh, where I have the thorns covered up and protected so people don't rub up against them because that's the pain that I know how to hold. Mm -hmm. And after going through this experience, I am now in that place where I'm allowing those protected spaces to fall away. And let the thorns work their way out so that I can let go of that pain and that fear and just allow whatever happened to happen. And that is why I don't know what I'm doing next, Yeah, but I trust that the thing that I need to do or that I'm called into doing based on all of the experiences that I've had so far, because at first I thought everybody had the kind of life that I've had. And as I get older, I realize there's some pretty special stuff in here where people have poured into me Mm -hmm. and and provided experiences for me that are beyond wonder. Mm -hmm. And I am doing what I can now to celebrate and honor that um, and push that back out as a conduit, as a vessel, as much as I can. I have two prayers. One is for discernment, Mm -hmm. to know the next thing when it shows up. And the second one is for courage, so that I uh, have the courage to take the step uh, to do that thing once I know what it is, even if it's scary.
0: So, Nancy, the, the purpose of this podcast is to connect and support and encourage people, right? You have done that today. (laughs) Somebody listening to this is is going to be, my prayer, is going to be transformed by what you have just said. Thank you.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for that gift. I'm I'm learning that healing and liberation is a gift. And so my eight-year-old self was afraid of talking to my dad. And I'm like, well, if it's a gift, if what my if the forgiveness that my kids gave to me was a gift, then why wouldn't what I give to my dad be a gift? And I made the call and he said, thank you. And we had a lovely conversation. And in a text message from one of my sisters, I also learned that he is now talking about his childhood Mm -hmm. and what I am most excited about is that that act is connecting a thread of generational healing Mm -hmm. so that we can all live our lives to our fullest potential in this moment and not have to wait for an afterlife.
1: Sure. Nancy is my mentor. Yeah. Yeah. She always says she's not, but then I'll say, she really is. Because the first time I met you, well, I hadn't even met you yet. You were standing on a stage. I don't even know where I was. Edgar dragged me to something before he started the Carver Grange. Yes. And I went to this thing with all these people talking about horticulture. And I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> How did this happen? And then you started talking and I was like, oh my God, she's amazing. She's amazing.
0: Yeah,
1: I want to be like her Aww. and the little me that loved science Yes, and didn't see anybody that was doing anything I was interested in when I was young. Yes. So I didn't pursue and nobody pushed me yes. in that direction. After I met you, then I got more into horticulture, which is what I took classes in grad, in undergrad, Yay. I took horticulture and plant pathology classes. Get the hell out! For the, <laughs> those were my like science um, what extra, like the extra classes yes. that you take. Yes, Your I just electives. took those for fun. Yeah, those were my electives for fun. You just learned that. I did. Yeah. You I used to love plant science. I did. Oh. I loved going out and seeing the diseases <laughs> on the plants, like yes. being able to identify, mm, you need to do something with that tree because. Yes. You know, yes. I love that. Yes. That was actually <laughs> one of my
2: summer jobs. One summer was working um, with the crop protection chemicals company in Southern Louisiana. I had soybeans and rice and I had to identify frog eye leaf spot on and a fusarium wilt and those things, and uh, it was the first time that I worked in rice. And sometimes the rice is flooded, and so I had hip waiter boots uh, that when I would go out and check the fields. But it's in southern Louisiana, so there's also alligators and moccasins. Oh okay. God! Yes, and I didn't quite under like if someone were to <laughs> offer me that job today, I'm like, of course not. I'm not doing that. But that's not what I did then. I was like. Sure. I'll yeah. do that. Yeah. I mean, they were paying me two thousand dollars a month in nineteen eighty, what, eight or something? With a expense account at nineteen, I'm gonna take your job. <laughs> <laughs> Student worker job was five dollars an hour or some wild thing like that. <laughs> no. But I remember the first time I stepped into a, a rice patty and I saw something. Like in the far corner move, I was like, oh, there's alligators in here. I should probably get out of here. But let me take this rice real quick. Because <laughs> I still didn't even make the recommendation. I wasn't coming back to the field. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But yay! yay! We can go to like do some plant disease classes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Wow. Thank wow! You,
1: Nancy. Thank,
0: Thank you. you. I've heard other interviews that you have done.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think this one's a little different. It is. I'm <laughs> telling you, freedom and liberation, honey. I love it. That is it. I love and my, it. my, I'm, I'm walking around with my heart open now. I, I sometimes say it feels like I just have like a rib spreader, and I'm just, and like Tony Stark with his little. <laughs> it's like, I'm just just looking for where the other open hearts are. And then and when they connect, it's like, you know, winning Candy Crush. You just get the little jewels going (laughs) back and forth.
0: So we usually end by asking you, because you are extraordinary, who else do we need to hear from?
2: Deb Bunting, if you've not spoken with her already. oh, no, we haven't. Okay. Uh, that's one. For some reason, this name is popping up right now, so I'm going to say it. I don't know that she's in North Omaha, but I know that she has work in North Omaha. Mm-hmm. And so Leslie Smith with Omaha Land Bank. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's something cool. there. Like, we haven't had a lot of conversation, but... The words hidden gem keep coming I mean, to mind. And like, she's yeah. very nerdy. Yes. And so I think that there's more to her than people know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think holding space for her to allow her to like shake her wings out a little bit mm-hmm. is, a, is a thing that I think we will all benefit from. Let's see. There's a couple of young people but one that I consider a rising star in the community would be Natavia Jones. She works on our team now, but her experience to date to be as young as she is and her connectedness to North Omaha, Mm uh, is impressive. And another one where, you know, when, when, as she gathers her footing, Mm -hmm. I think, um, will usher in transformative change in the community. And I always I love so. talking to my kids. So if you talk to Kefilla Williams or Noni Williams, it's always going to be a good time. Because they're, they're amazing. They are amazing. I learn from them all the time. We sit and talk. Whenever we gather, like a little cluster and talk about all sorts of things. You would definitely have a good conversation with them. And they... Don't live in North Omaha now, uh, but they always rep North Omaha. Like, they they let people know, like, this is where we came from. This is what our community is like. Like, don't try to make it seem like it's something different. Like, all of us, all of our neighbors, neighbor kids have this potential when people support. Yes. And and they do the same thing. They volunteer, they give back, they donate. Uh, and they've been doing that since they were very young. Awesome.
0: Anything else, Jade? No,
2: I'm pretty full right I now. mean, right?
0: <laughs> like, I could go take a nap right now. I'm just,
2: rest and liberation, honey. Do what you need to do.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you,
2: rest is a thing. I did not realize how transformative rest is. Yeah. We
0: might have to have Nancy back again just to, we'll give you another couple of months and then bring you back
2: and see where you're at. Awesome. Cause I found, I thought that I had uh, let somebody hold my All About Love book and they didn't give it back, but the Lord revealed it this morning. So I oh. said, okay, well, let me bring, cause my word last year was love. And this was my handbook, which is why it is so tattered into torn. Yes, it is. And it has like, highlighted and notes in the margins and all sorts of things. All
1: about love by bell hooks.
2: Yes, by bell hooks. I love it. It is the thing. I believe that we underestimate the power of love. And I also love animated things. So if you think about Monsters, Inc., when they were scaring them kids and trying to get energy, but when they started making them laugh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's all around us. We have the clues. I love it. But love is the way. One of my my wishes and intentions is that we use the word love more often, that we understand what it really means and that we put it into practice in every circle we're in. And on that note, I
0: <laughs> Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. OK. Thank you for tuning in to Noir, the podcast where we celebrate the extraordinary people of North Omaha. We hope you've been inspired by today's episode and encourage you to share your own stories with us. You can reach us at noir, that's N O I R E, the podcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram. Until next time, stay extraordinary.